Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It's 9.01 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. It is the 19th of May, 2023, and this is episode 730 of Bitcoin. And do you want to plant something in your garden, your flower beds, that's going to do you something really, really good, like make mulch, fertilize the soil, do deep, deep mineral mining anywhere between three and eight feet down into the soil. A plant that becomes drought tolerant as its tap roots get deeper and therefore relies less and less on surface watering. Uh, does this sound good? Do you, want, do you want something you can harvest the leaves off of and turn it into just fertilizer in a liquid form? Yeah, you could do all this. Do you want a plant that helps heal bruises, sprains, backaches, myalgia, rheumatoid arthritis? I mean, it doesn't heal it, but it definitely makes it makes it better. The rheumatoid arthritis that's a that's an autoimmune disease, and that yeah, you can alleviate the effects with comfrey, but it's not going to cure it. However, sprains, bruises, lacerations, bug bites, itching, rashes. A whole host of stuff literally just goes away when you do use this magic plant known as comfrey. And if you want to get some, because once you get once you get some planted and started, you'll never have to buy this plant again. It will always be with you. You will always be able to harvest and do all the use it for all the magical things that comfrey does. And if you want to get some. You just need to hit up my friend, shishi21m at protonmail.com. Now, that's the slower method of ordering comfrey from shishi. The faster method is to go to Noster. Hopefully, you've got your, your key pair. And, you know, like, it just, you need, if you haven't gotten on Noster yet, come on, guys, dude, please. But Noster is definitely the faster way to get it from shishi. He is at shishi21m on Noster, and if that doesn't work when you put in the at symbol and shishi21, it's S-H-I-S-H-I-2-1-M. If that doesn't work, his NPUB for Noster will be in the show notes, and that should get you to shishi, and that is the fastest way to get comfrey. He's selling one full root for 20 bucks, and you can probably cut that into, I don't know, I don't know how long the root is that he's selling, but you can probably get, you can probably cut that into a couple of pieces. Or you can get separate root cuttings for a buck each, right? So you could order a hundred root cuttings from him and pay a hundred dollars. And he takes lightning, takes Bitcoin over lightning. So circular economy and all that. So hit up my friend, Shishi. You can get this magic plant directly from him. He has two kinds, Balking 14 and Balking 4. I can personally vouch for the Balking 4 because I'm the one that sold him the root stock so that he could propagate Bocking 4. Just saying. Now, let's get into the news. Ibex Mercado announces partnership with Grupo Salinas, bringing lightning access to millions of Mexican citizens. This is written by BTC Casey from Bitcoin Magazine. Ibex Mercado, a Bitcoin lightning payment service provider, has announced a new partnership with Grupo Salinas, one of the largest corporate conglomerates in Mexico. Quote, Over 4 million Mexicans can now pay with Bitcoin for their cable, internet, and phone service, IBEX CEO Jose Lima said on stage as he announced the partnership. Quote, with this partnership, we're opening the doors to every Bitcoin and Lightning company and financial tech company that wants to leverage Lightning technology. We will be rolling out new technology with Grupo Salinas that will enable Mexicans to pay their groceries with Bitcoin, electronics, and to receive remittances, Lemus explained his excitement 
about the announcement saying that this is just the tip of the iceberg of what will go on in Mexico. The collaboration signifies a major step in Mexico's adoption of Bitcoin and Lightning. In addition, the integration of Lightning payments via IBEX with Total Play opens up new possibilities for fast and efficient for transactions for Total Pay customers. <laughs> Yeehaw. Quote, <clears throat> the true value of this technology is not about paying for a cup of coffee in a different way, Lima said. In a world where we're going to have increasing digitization of our products and services, we need better payment technology. We did not have a good enough payments technology, but now we do with Lightning. End quote. Integration of Bitcoin Lightning in Grupo Salinas's products and services via IBEX can place Mexico at the forefront of the digital revolution, providing citizens with a secure, modern, and efficient payment option. So Mexico hasn't been all that happy about Bitcoin, at least in the, the highest levels of their government. They've, they have had people actively speak out against it, actively side with the World Economic Forum, the International Monetary Fund, and the World Bank, as well as the guys over at FATF and the European Union by saying that they're, they're not excited. They, they just don't think that this technology is, is right. It's just not going to be helpful. It's not backed by anything. It's the same argument. And yet, time and time again, we see that maybe it's not always the government that gets to call the shots. Maybe it's private industry that also gets to call some shots. And it looks like Grupo Salinas is calling the ball right here. Now, just north in the state of Texas in the United States, David Atlee, David Atlee is talking about this one from Cointelegraph. Texas proof of reserve bill passes the Senate. Legislation that could require exchanges to maintain reserves in an amount sufficient to fulfill all obligations to customers has made it one step closer to becoming a law in Texas. On May the 15th, the bill passed a vote in the state Senate and now awaits only the governor's signature. Texas House Bill 1666, amending the Texan Finance Code, passed through the state's House of Representatives earlier this year. After three readings in the Senate, the text of the bill hasn't experienced any significant changes from the previous draft. Under the amendments, digital asset providers serving more than 500 customers in the state with at least $10 million in customer funds would be restricted from commingling the customer funds with any other type of operational capital and using customer funds for any further transactions beside the original transaction demanded by the customer. Also, the exchanges must maintain reserves sufficient to accommodate all potential withdrawals at any given moment within 90 days following each fiscal year's conclusion. Companies must submit a report to the Texas Department of Banking regarding their existing liability to customers. Should the provider fail to comply with the requirements, the department would have the right to revoke its license. Texas is an area of proactive legislation when it comes to crypto. Apart from the proof of reserves bill, the Senate move to limit crypto mining incentives was voted in by the Senate in April. At the same time, Texan lawmakers voted to amend the state's Bill of Rights, adding a provision recognizing the right of individuals to possess, retain, and utilize digital currencies. Not a fan of government, as you, you know, know, because I just I think most of them have just gotten too big for their britches. And, and, and for the analogy that I always like to use, this is why there was never giant insects in prehistoric times, you know, dinosaurs and stuff. You know, there was no massive dragonflies. It didn't exist. And the reason is because the way oxygen, oxygen diffuses into an organism, given its surface area versus its volume, surface area ratio versus volume is a critical aspect when it comes to insects. Why? Because they don't have a circulatory system, not in anywhere close to the way that mammals and reptiles and, you know, larger critters do. There's no heart pumping fluid around. There's no, you know, air sacs that are taking in air and helping to diffuse oxygen and other gases into the bloodstream. I think government and very large institutions and huge, massive companies like Google and Microsoft, I think they all fall under the same auspices of that analogy insofar that if you get too big, 
then the information that you need to be able to function, and in this case, it's information and not oxygen, it can't diffuse into the system fast enough for that organism to continue to not only function, but eventually to stay alive. And therein lies my problem with most of my problem with any kind of government whatsoever. It's not because they're inherently evil. It's because they're getting too big for their britches. And same goes true for shit like Microsoft and Google and Amazon. They're just too large. Decentralization is where it's at. That's why we have the 10th Amendment to the Constitution of the United States of America that allows the states, each individual state, to say, it's not written that I cannot do something or that I have to do something in the body of the Constitution. Therefore, it is up to me, the state of, pick your, pick your state, to make that decision, right? So the 10th Amendment is to the state what the First Amendment is to the individual. But in this particular case, Texas seems to be doing okay. I'm not, I'm definitely not thrilled. I think they went down, Texas went down the wrong path with the incentive, uh, the incentives for mining and, um, you know, power stabilization programs and whatnot like that. But you know, what they're, this is just directly a reaction to FTX. You better, you better be able to put your money where your mouth is. If every single one of your depositors comes to your door and says, I want my money. You better be able to comply with that. I don't see how that's not anything but just straight up ethical. And the fact that you have to have something like the Texas legislature tell you that you need to operate that way, uh, it just makes me kind of sad for humanity. But this one doesn't. MicroBT releases a new line of What's Minor M50 series at Bitcoin 2023. Bitcoin Magazine, BTC Casey. MicroBT, the Bitcoin ASIC manufacturer behind the What's Minor line of ASIC mining machines, unveiled its latest offering at Bitcoin 2023 in Miami Beach. Dr. Zhu Yang, the founder and CEO of MicroBT, highlighted the importance of high-density, low-noise, low-failure rate, and low-maintenance ASIC machines bringing Bitcoin mining into a new era. Oh, oh for God's sakes. <laughs> The hyperbole. The talk started with a role of film focusing on the energy crisis, green energy, and the role that Bitcoin can play as a solution. In It then proposed the question, what matters more, mining or surviving? Quote, I never stopped thinking of better power solutions for Bitcoin mining, Dr. Yang said. MicroBT introduced three new models of the What's Miner M50 series. The air-cooled M50S++, the hydro-cooled M53S++, and the immersion-cooled M56S++. These models offer impressive compute power ranging from 150 to 320 terahashes per second, respectively, with power efficiencies of 22 joules per terahash. Wow. Dr. Yang highlighted the heat collection capabilities of the mining rigs, which can be utilized for various purposes, such as space heating and industrial processes. He mentioned that the hydro-cooling mining rigs can reach outlet water temperatures of over 70 degrees C, that's 158 degrees Fahrenheit, enabling 2.4 megawatts of power for a 40-foot container. Additionally, the immersion cooling solution requires only 10 liters of oil per miner, demonstrating its efficiency. God, 10 liters is quite a bit, guys. <laughs> he emphasized that every M56 miner only requires as low as 10 liters of oil with our specified tank. Yes, you just said that. <clears throat> MicroBT's focus since its inception in 2016 has been the development of high-efficiency Bitcoin mining rigs. The company aims to support miners in adhering to Bitcoin's decentralization principles while prioritizing network stability. Dr. Yang emphasized MicroBT's commitment to working with partners to promote sustainable mining practices, zero carbon emissions, and social responsibility. Oh, yay. Okay, so the biggest part of this that I see, aside from the fact that it's, an, it's clearly a more efficient miner, is that they're focusing on heat collection. And he says the heat collection capabilities of the mining rigs being utilized for various purposes. This is a major tenet in permaculture. 
the waste stream of a system will remain waste unless you can capture it and utilize it in a different system. So let's say this. Let's say I've got an abandoned, I don't know, uh, abandoned gas well out there in the middle of, you know, Upton County, Texas. And I plug my, yeah, I plug a big old generator into that thing and I'm using the natural gas to generate power in this generator. And then I hook a shit ton of miners to it. Okay. I've got two heat sources. I've got the heat being generated from the Bitcoin miners themselves. I've also have a, an inordinate amount of heat being generated from the actual generator because you got to run a gas engine to be able to turn the rotor and make electricity and all that generates heat. So I've got two major sources of heat. If I can collect that heat and I can run that through, oh, say a greenhouse, like maybe I collect up all of the heat in, I don't know, a water tank and I use all, like I'm using all the heat and I'm, I'm taking it, uh, using a coolant and I'm running it through a coil that is immersed inside of a water tank that is potable water, maybe even non-potable water. And then it's heating that water up and there's a shit ton of water, like, you know, 10,000 liters or whatever. And then I take that water and I pump it through a whole bunch of pipes that are underground in the dirt, in the soil, way, 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 way down there. And then I put like, uh, what do they call them? High tunnels on top of that. Now in the summer, I don't need that heat. That's a problem. You need to be able to use that for something else. But in the winter time, even West Texas, you're not growing much shit. And if you do, you're going to have to heat the environment that you're growing, whatever it is that you're growing in, like hothouse tomatoes. All right. So you get what I'm going at, going for in the middle of February, these two things together, I guarantee will pr produce enough heat to grow enough tomatoes in the middle of winter to be able to sell at a profit and you get Bitcoin and you probably would be able to work with, I know the federal government on getting, I know I'm just going to say it carbon credits. Hey, however it, Whatever it takes, I don't give a shit. But as long as you can, like that concern right there, you're capturing natural gas, you're producing Bitcoin, and you're producing food. All in the same place, out in the middle of nowhere. The only problem with the food is that you got to truck it into where people are actually going to buy it. That is another issue all of itself. The whole point of me going through that is that the engineers over at MicroBT are starting to become sensitive to the fact that the waste of one system could be used inside of another system. That's called function stacking. That is a major tenant of permaculture. That's where permaculture and Bitcoin starts fitting in because permaculture as a design science allows you to start thinking in a way that you've never thought before. And that major, one of the major ways of thinking in permaculture is is this actual waste from this system or can I use it for something else? And I like this, this line of thinking. I don't like this line of thinking. IMF, yeah, the International Monetary Fund, seems, sees room for e-Naira improvement in the first year assessment. Derek Anderson tells us the drivel that's coming out of those guys from Cointelegraph. Nigeria's e-Naira central bank digital currency is over one year old. And the International Monetary Fund has a late birthday present for it in the form of a working paper assessing its first year of performance. Laudable, said IMF researchers regarding the e-Naira's debut year. But there were some suggestions too. The e-Naira was the world's second CBDC, premiering in October 2021 after the Bohemian Sand Dollar. The paper found the e-Naira's retail side was intermediated but had no problems with latency as it has yet to make its breakthrough beyond its initial adopters. The Central Bank of Nigeria introduced a phased introduction, which put off two of the CBDC's biggest goals, extending financial inclusion to the unbanked and facilitating remittances, according to IMF officials. Only about 1.5% of wallets are active at any given time. <laughs> and there were only a total of 802,000 transactions during 
the one year time span examined. Oh boy. <laughs> the figures represent less than one per wallet and less than 1% of bank accounts in the country have wallets. The paper observed, quote, like any network product with similar traits, like credit cards, breaking the initial low adoption equilibrium requires a mix of clever strategies and luck. Uh, you mean marketing and lying. Mobile money operators <clears throat> have a vast network in Nigeria and the E-Naira's relationship to that network is a key question raised in the paper. The CBDC could compete with the MMOs on the retail market or facilitate MMOs, the money, mobile money operators, operations by providing a bridge between them. The paper called the eNIRA's replacement of all the MMO services hard to imagine, but also noted that a bridge function could set off a difficult industry reshuffle. As a single currency system, IMF says the eNIRA is unable to accommodate remittances directly, but mentioned this could be overcome either by allowing international money transfer operators to receive eNIRA wallets or through intermediation. Of course, you need your middleman. Researchers recommend the former. Though both operations would remain expensive, which the IMF considers a serious problem in light of the parallel underground market that serves the same purpose. Yes, you can't have a black market. The paper recommends a few steps for boosting eNIRA usage, such as putting guns to their head. Oh, I'm sorry. Such as using it for social payments in conjunction with MMOs that improve the social cash transfer system and increase adoption. Merchants could also be incentivized to use the eNIRA. The Central Bank of Nigeria has started to work on inclusivity through the eNIRA, the paper notes, but remittances remain problematic. Yeah, the, all this is, is that the eNIRA sucks. Nobody's using it. But the IMF loves it because if they can get Nigeria to force their people to use it or in any way can get their, the people of Nigeria to adopt it, then the IMF is going to be able to exert their control over the Nigerian population. It is that simple. The IMF is not your friend. It's never been anybody's friend. None of the loans ever you know, produced out of the IMF has done squat unless you listen to the mouthpieces that over at the IMF. They'll tell you that they've done great things. I haven't seen anything happen but third world countries slide deeper and deeper into debt or just remain going sideways in the poverty that they're already in. I've, I've seen no good come from the IMF. If you're listening to me from Nigeria, don't use this. Don't be cajoled into using the eNIRA. Don't do it. However it is that you can get away from it, then do the work to get away from it and stay away from it. Otherwise, you're going to have a bad time <laughs> because we got the FATF. Yeah, the FATF, <clears throat> um, I can't remember, it's a financial action task force, pushes Pakistan to ban Bitcoin and urges the G7 to enact stricter financial surveillance. Keyword here is surveillance. This is no bullshit Bitcoin, uh, no bsbitcoin.com. Pakistan, this is a quote Pakistan will ban cryptocurrency services operating in the country and never legalize crypto trading. Minister of State for Finance and Revenue Aisha Gauss Pasha said at a session of the Senate Standing Committee on Finance and Revenue on May the 16th. Pasha said banning crypto was one of the requirements set by the Financial Action Task Force, which removed Pakistan from its gray list in October. Uh, 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 one of the requirements set by a group of people who were never elected by any member of the citizenry of Pakistan has told Pakistan, you will, you will do this. Why is Pakistan, of all places, listening to anything that a European-based commission has to say? Because that's where the FATF is. Nobody there elected them. What's the connection? You tell me. Quote, the gray list contains countries the body considers deficient in anti-money laundering and counter-terrorist financing measures, but that are working with it to remedy their shortcomings. Cryptocurrencies have been gaining increasing popularity in Pakistan with the annual trading volume going up to $25 billion, up from approximately 18 to $20 billion just one year ago. 
Banks in Pakistan have already started informing customers that cryptocurrency trading is illegal, at least two sources told Coindesk. This attempted ban comes at a time of political turmoil for Pakistan, while the Pakistani rupee's value has fallen a staggering 57.4% against the U.S. dollar over the past year. Meanwhile, FATF's president, T. Raja Kumar, urged G7 leaders to effectively implement FATF's anti-money laundering norms ahead of their meeting this weekend. Quote, around the globe, countries have made progress progress in implementing most of the standards. However, progress on implementing FATF's updated requirements on crypto assets has been poor, Kumar said. According to Kumar, 73% of countries are still non-compliant or only partially compliant with the watchdog standards. Quote, G7 countries taking the lead in fully and effectively implementing FATF's global standards is crucial to our collective success, Kumar said. FATF's Controversial travel rule requires crypto service providers to collect and share information on transactions above a certain threshold. FATF is an unelected international organization based in Paris, France, established with a purpose to propose KYC AML surveillance policies and pressure countries into adopting them. Its proposals involve trusted intermediaries and are incompatible with basic security practices of the digital age. FATF itself cannot impose sanctions on non-compliant countries, but its findings are used to influence government and corporate policies. Again, I ask the question of all places in the world, why do you think Pakistan basically has been trading artillery shells with one of the world's most populated countries on the planet, India, for decades over the Kashmir region, would lie down and take somebody telling them what to do out of Paris, France. What's going on there? What's going on there? Pakistan should be one of those countries that says, you know what, dude, we're done. Well, I think the answer is easy. They've been completely captured at the federal government level. That's what's going on. That's the reason that I hate centralization because it's just one single point of failure. All you got to do is crack that one nut and everybody in the country has to do what you say. It's just disgusting to actually have to watch this crap happen in real time. Now, Bitcoin custody services are coming to Custodia Bank says CEO Caitlin Long. Custodia Bank, as you know, has been denied and denied again for any kind of banking license from the Federal Reserve because why? They want to be a fully reserved bank. Can't have that, can you? Well, let's see what this is about. Pedro Salamano from Decrypt.co. Custodia Bank, a Wyoming chartered special purpose depository institution, will soon be rolling out Bitcoin custody service Founder and CEO Caitlin Long said at Bitcoin 2023 during a panel at Bitcoin 2023, quote, there are certain types of businesses like investment companies, registered investment advisors, corporate treasurers, and other type of fiduciary that have to, by law, segregate the custody of the assets from the management of the assets, she said during a Thursday morning panel. She added that the bank issued its 60-day advance notice in April that it would be rolling out Bitcoin custody service as, uh, sorry, Bitcoin custody as a service for its clients. Wyoming SPDIs are required to give 60 days notice if they plan to begin custodying digital assets on behalf of their clients. She stated, start, God, I'm having some problems again today. She started off her remarks explaining why a hardcore Bitcoiner would want a bank, claiming that she doesn't think the world is ready for hyper-Bitcoinization yet. Quote, I don't want the traditional financial system to melt down and would rather live in a world where the two financial systems are developing and have connectivity, but each one doesn't blow up the other one, she said. Custodia Bank, formerly known as Avanti, has been providing a full suite of financial services for customers with digital assets since 2020. The Wyoming SPDI was one of the first institutions to register under the state's crypto-friendly laws. Yeah, it's because she and a couple of her friends wrote those laws or helped the legislature get them through anyway. The Bitcoin 2023 panel was moderated by Dylan LeClaire, Bitcoin Magazine head of market research, and also included Ram Alhualia, founder and CEO of Lumida, and Mark Connors, 3IQ head of research. 
Over the years, Long hasn't held anything back when referring to the Fed, accusing them of accusing them of hypocrisy for inaction. Today's announcement comes amid Custodia's lawsuit against the Federal Reserve over its treatment in becoming a member institution and gaining access to a master account. Approval would open their doors to the Fed Wire Network, which handles hundreds of millions of transactions per year and saw $1 quadrillion worth of value transferred in 2022 alone. According to the Crypto Bank, an application process that usually takes no more than seven days saw a patently unlawful delay of 19 weeks, prompting them to take the Federal Reserve to court. Long didn't provide any updates on the lawsuit during the panel on Thursday, but did have some criticism for how the Federal Reserve behaved during the wave of bank collapses in March. Quote, the morning of the Silicon Valley bank run, the head of supervision at the Fed, Michael Barr, bragged in his anti-crypto speech that Fed-supervised banks don't have bank runs because they're subject to prudential supervision as the Silicon Valley bank run was indeed happening, she said. Yeah, there was a huge amount of hypocrisy on that one. That was very ill-timed on Bragg's part. <laughs> kind of funny. Let's run the numbers. West Texas Intermediate Oil is down a half point to $71.55. Britain North Sea is likewise down a half point to $75.48. Natural gas, however, two and a half points to the upside, $2.65. I haven't seen it that high in quite a while. Uh, gasoline is up scant to $2.57. Shiny metal rocks having a good day, 0.82% to the upside for gold, still under $2,975.80. Silver is up 1.62%. Platinum is up 1.17%. Copper is up one, uh, yeah, just over a point. Palladium is up, wow, four and a half points. Uh, ag is mostly in the green today. Biggest winner today is coffee, 2.87% to the upside. And the biggest loser today is going to be rice, down three quarters of a point. I got live cattle up scant. I got lean hogs down a full two and a quarter points. Feeder cattle are down a quarter of a point. Dow is down a third. S&P is down 0.17%. NASDAQ is down a fifth of a point. S&P mini is down almost to a one full percentage point. I got a price of Bitcoin at $26,877.52. That's after $350,000. Bitcoin have exchanged hands in the last 24 hours. 0.7 BTC is the average transaction value. Median transaction value is $54.90. So getting back up there. Block times are just slightly off. Nine minutes and 56 seconds. I got what? 0.8 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis and 128.8 BTC taken overall in the last 24 hours. And as I predicted, there's been a hash rate plummet. Almost a full 12 percentage points to the downside for hash rate brings us to 340.78 exahashes per second. Shitcoin indicator is holding steady. 7.4 United States pennies for the Dogecoin. Got $520 billion of market cap. That's almost 4% of gold's entire market cap. I got uh, 19,377,818.2 BTC in, in circulation and 5,298 of those are in the Lightning Network valued at $142.2 million, 71,666 payment channels that we know about, 64.7% of all Lightning is being run over Tor, and we have an estimated difficulty change to the upside of 0.3%. But we got to let that go for a few days to get a more accurate number. But the retarget date is May the 31st, 2023. Packed and stacked, uh, mempools across the world are carrying 275,000 unconfirmed transactions in 207 blocks waiting to clear. Uh, mempools are purging anything under 7.09 Satoshis per V-byte. At least that's the, the default mempools are purging those. Low priority transactions coming in at 68 Satoshis per V-byte. High priority is 102 Satoshis per V-byte. And I am now number nine on the Fountain Top 10 list. So again, I asked, you answered, 
you guys always come through for me. I just, I can't thank you enough for that, by the way. Uh, let's see what boostograms I got. I got P-Tar with a full striper boost, 7777 says, watching the clueless people over at Ledger blow up their own company is quite entertaining. Yeah, well, P-Tar, <laughs> we're about to get into the reactions on uh, the people over at Ledger and how sad they are that this has happened. We'll we'll talk about that here in a second. Uh, Itsy Bitsy Hoddle has two, 2,100 sats, says, Good advice on AI. You're on the same page with Guy Swan, who just released his new podcast, AI Unchained. I've listened to it. It's good. But I've been listening to Guy Swan for a long time anyway. Uh, First episode was with Jeff Booth. Yes, it is definitely worth it. Uh, Go do it. Uh, It's AI Unchained, by the way. Yeah, I know. I probably shouldn't be talking about other podcasts on my podcast. But I'm I'm just not cut that way. I'm just not. Guy Swan's a good dude. And if you haven't been listening to, to uh, Bitcoin Audible, uh, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you, man. Uh, was it? Stefan Gornick, 500 sat, says, if I travel to that part of Colorado, wouldn't elk hunting be more what I would be interested in? Yes. Yeah, there's a lot of elk, but there's also a lot of, there's also a lot of low altitude deer. I mean, it's, you, you got all of it, man. And here's the other place that you can go because it, not too far away, um, south of Pagosa Springs. So we're talking about, I don't know, I, I guess it'd be a good two and a half, three hour drive from the house in Colorado the, for Aspenwood, by the way, go stay there. Uh, you get into a place called Espanola. Now we used to have my, I had a, um, oh, so what would I call him? my aunt remarried a guy named Frank. Okay. So my, you know, like my aunt, Oh, let's see. was my dad's brother's wife, my aunt. Well, my dad's brother died. She remarried to a guy named Frank, great big hunter. I mean, he was, he was big himself. He was like, like six, eight and all of like 300 pounds. I mean, the dude was like a mountain of a guy and he always hunted. And he would always stay at our house and he would go to different hunting places. But one of his favorite places to go hunt elk was down south below Pagosa Springs in the northern part of New Mexico, a place called Española. Elk capital of the world is one of the ways that this place is described. So yeah, there's a lot of elk everywhere. And there's some big ass elk. Ask me how I know. I almost ran one over on the road in the middle of the night when I was driving in a Jeep. And if I had hit that son of a bitch, the only person that would have been hurt would have been me. They're that big. I mean, these things are massive, dude. These massive affairs. So yes, you're right. But there's also like, I've, I've seen all kinds of deer out there. So it's, it's just, you know, it's like a grocery store. Just go out there and you can go. There's also good fly fishing if you're a fisherman too. Uh, God's death with 370 sats says, thank you, sir. Couldn't pass up the cold card deal. Got a second one for my wife. Hey, somebody get on the horn to uh, Novak and tell him that I've successfully sold at least two of his cold cards and he needs to, you know, support the show by, you know, being a sponsor. That would be awesome. Jim Leahy with 100 sats says, nature is amazing, my friend. Keep up the good work. Nature is amazing because it honestly, it answers almost, well, actually, when you get right down to it, nature has given us 100% of everything we have. And that includes every single bit of technology because it all exists inside the bubble that is creation. That's the weather report. Welcome to part two of the news you can use. Pitar, this is for you, brother. So much anger, so much hate, says Ledger co-founder amid botched recover service launch decrypt.co. Ryan Gladwin is writing. It's been a brutal 72 hours for Ledger since it launched its recover service. Again, pausing to note the irony of the service being called recover when the announcement has caused Ledger to become unrecoverable. I'm just saying. Quote, what a horrible mess, Eric Larchvik. 
Ledger co-founder said on the cryptocurrency subreddit, I'm devastated to come on this subreddit that I created nine years ago to see images of Ledger devices burning, insults, and a lot, a lot of anger. I'm honestly on the verge of tears, he said. Ledger Recover is an opt-in subscription service costing $9.99 a month. After signing up, your recovery phrase phrase is split into three encrypted fragments and then trusted with custodians Ledger, CoinCover, and an unnamed third provider. When you want to recover your seed phrase, you're required to prove your identity using your passport or national identity card. Users were concerned that they were having to trust in three centralized figures, the risks of identity theft, as well as the possibility that their seed phrase can be taken off their hardware wallet, even if they don't opt in through an alleged, quote, backdoor. Burn them all, a Twitter user said, smashing their ledger with a hammer and then taking a blowtorch to it. Oh, dude, nice. Quote, congratulations, ledger. You destroyed your reputation, one Reddit user exclaimed. Other Reddit users started to refer to ledger wallets as paperweights due to the new service. Quote, I've given so much to this company that it's impossible for me not to be highly emotional in this moment, Larvec said, quote, so much anger, so much hate, and also so much insanity, end quote. After co-founding Ledger in 2014, he was CEO until 2019. Currently, he is only a shareholder of the company. He does not hold an executive position. Therefore, his views expressed in his post are his personal views and are not representative of Ledger's official position on the matter. Quote, to me, all this meltdown is a total PR failure, but absolutely not a technical one, he said. Quote, trying to explain the security model to customers with a less and less knowledgeable user base became more and more difficult. Oh yeah, blame stupidity. When you call your customers dumb, you're not helping the PR fight here, pal. The co-founder of the hardware wallet company chronicled the growth of Ledger and how education has been at the core of the project's mission since its inception. He pointed to an old tweet that explained a firmware update cannot extract the seed from a secure element, stating that the tweet should have included as long as you were trusting Ledger. This tweet led users to believe that Ledger is a trustless solution. This is not the case, uh, Larvec said. Some amounts of trust must be placed into Ledger to use their product. When Recover was abruptly launched, this false sense of trustlessness went into pieces and people started to actually understand how a hardware wallet works. At least that's a positive note, he said. My mistakes as CEO during my tenure was probably not to be relentless enough about explaining the security model. There are two sides to the outrage, according to Lovech. One side comes down or comes from people who were misinformed about Ledger's security model. And for those people, he understands their hurt. However, he also sees a group of people jumping on the hate bandwagon, spreading conspiracy theories about a backdoor. Quote, you don't have any understanding of what you are saying, he said in his Reddit post. A Ledger spokesperson confirmed to Decrypt that for your seed phrase to be extracted in the Ledger recover process, you must sign a transaction. Otherwise, Ledger cannot access your seed phrase. Quote, Ledger is still safe. There is no backdoor. The Ledger recover is not a conspiracy. No one will ever force anyone to use recover, Lovec said. Quote, the recover code in the firmware is not malicious code, nor does it open a way to arbitrarily extract the seed. Yeah, reaching for straws in desperation is not a good look. Calling your customers dumb is not a good look. I'm just saying, this is, there's no recovery from this. Will Ledger survive? Yeah, probably. Probably. But they've dealt themselves a fatal blow. Their reputation is in tatters. And as you know, if you've been listening to to this show for any length of time at all, I talk about reputations in this space like I talk about tissue paper soaked in lighter fluid. All it takes is a spark. All it takes is a spark. You guard your reputation as seriously as you can. Some people can survive it. You know, there's like a couple of people out there that have made some very, very bad choices about who they support and why, but they're still alive. They're fine. They're, they're, they're going to be fine. 
But for the rest of us plebs, not so much. And Ledger, even though we're talking about a massive company, I don't think they're clawing their way back from this. I think their sales are going to plummet. I think Trezor and CoinKite and uh, Blockstream Jade are going to basically be the three leaders in the market. And Ledger is just going to be out there in the wind to twist. And as for the use of Ledger as a paperweight, you can't. They're not that big. They're really, a, really, really a garbage piece of piece of hardware, honestly. All right, all right, let's get off of that one. <clears throat> but that's, yeah, it's sad when somebody has to take to Reddit and cry about all the crap. Now, MicroStrategy, looking at Bitcoin ordinals for app development, says Michael Saylor. Do you want to hear that one again? You probably should because it might have just, maybe you were dodging an old lady walking out in front of you while you're driving your car. MicroStrategy is looking at Bitcoin ordinals for application development, says Michael Saylor, straight from the horse's mouth. And Andre Bogonski from Decrypt.co, MicroStrategy co-founder and executive chairman, Michael Saylor, said that the company isn't just aware of ordinals. It's interested in how the protocol that's set Bitcoin's community abuzz could lead to software innovation. In an interview at Bitcoin 2023 in Miami, Saylor exclusively told Decrypt that the software firm is looking at ordinals and assessing its potential in terms of application development. This is weird. Often used to create NFT-like assets on top of Bitcoin, Ordinals launched in January and the protocol has created a new wave of experimentation with crypto's oldest coin. One recent innovation in the space leveraging Ordinals is an experimental framework for building tokens on top of Bitcoin. It was pioneered by the pseudonymous on-chain data enthusiast Domo in early March. And since then, thousands of other so-called BRC20 tokens have been created. All those transactions have been partly responsible for elevated transaction fees on Bitcoin. That's been a boon for Bitcoin miners who collect transaction fees for their role in securing the network. But lots of members of the community have complained that high fees make it harder for regular people to use BTC as the peer-to-peer electronic cash system that Satoshi Nakamoto intended it to be. I got to pause. I have to pause because this is almost, almost word for word. The Roger Ver explanation for bigger blocks, right? We're, we're right back in 2016, 2017. I've been transported back in time five years to before I started this podcast. This shit was going on. The verbiage hasn't even changed. It's the same argument from the same people for the same reasons. It is what it is. I don't like ordinals any more than you do. But they exist. And honestly, let's, let's just back up for a second. Let's just think about an inscription transaction or a BRC transaction. What's, what's the same thing in both of those statements? They're transactions. Uh, they're, they're just, they're, it's just a Bitcoin transaction. There's nothing different about the transaction. It's the perception of the person making the transaction that is different than your perception of you making a transaction. The reasons it's being done, what is gained out of it, what is lost out of it. That's all of that is perception. What I find a valuable transaction is not what somebody else might find a a valuable or viable transaction, yet they are both transactions. If they are both valid transactions, given the consensus rules from Bitcoin Core software, then the transaction is a transaction regardless of what you think about it. People that are colorblind see colors differently than those people that are not colorblind. But that doesn't make them any less viable of a human being, right? Our perceptions of the world is 99% of how we act in the world. What's valid for Bitcoin is valid for Bitcoin, whether you like it or not. And before BRC20, before ordinals, before inscriptions, before all this shit, people were making transactions for stuff that other people thought shouldn't be valid transactions. Rare Pepe's come to mind. And that was in what, 2014, 2015. Come on, guys. The crying needs to stop. 
But it doesn't help that somebody like Michael Saylor wants to do this crap. The discussion surrounding ordinals is important, Saylor said, because Bitcoin miners have to be successful over the long term. He added that the development of applications building on Bitcoin's functionality could also bolster the coin's overall adoption among individuals, firms, and governments. Saylor didn't specify specifically say what what use cases microstrategy could be looking into that tap ordinals but he noted the ability to commit data to bitcoin's blockchain that isn't solely related to transactions has many potential applications quote the whole idea of burning a piece of data onto the blockchain opens the door to the possibility that i might burn a digital signature or i might burn a registration or I might burn a hash of a document, Saylor said. Touching on corporate security, Saylor mentioned DocuSign, which lets businesses and individuals send and sign agreements securely using the firm's electronic signature product, but that makes megacorporations reliant on a proprietary database. Quote, right now, enterprises have weak security compared to Bitcoin. Adding that the innovations using the world's largest cryptocurrency could possibly introduce a new level of security available to firms that does not exist right now. Saylor's comments come just a week after he described ordinals as a catalyst for Bitcoin adoption on the PBD or, well, whatever that is, PBD podcast. Still, he acknowledges that ordinals have been used for plenty of silly reasons. Quote, the general consensus is criticize stuff that we think is silly but don't censor it, he said Thursday in Miami. Saylor didn't want to predict which protocol will win, but he said altering Bitcoin so that it censors certain users would be wrong. Yeah, I agree with that. It was a nod to the effort by a group of core Bitcoin developers, including Luke Dash Jr., to treat ordinals as spam and filter them out of transactions. Quote, if somebody wants to change the protocol in order to censor someone else from using Bitcoin, I don't think that's consistent with the values of the community, Saylor said. I do believe in rules without rulers. You know, that's anarcho, uh, anarcho-capitalism, which I, I, I'm, I'm sort of ANCAP. <clears throat> I would rather have less government. Seriously, like a lot less, like 10% of what we got right now. Something, something, something around there. That would be great. Yeah. I, I don't think Sailor is helping, but I don't think Sailor is looking at this because he wants a bunch a bunch of monkey JPEGs either. Sailor's the kind of guy that if he's looking at something, he's seeing something different. He's not seeing like you might go, oh, well, just because it's different, it's not a uh rock or a JPEG or a rock JPEG or a monkey JPEG or something like that, doesn't mean that it's any more valuable. Well, are you sure? Are you sure? We've we've talked about this for a long time in, in Bitcoin circles about the fact that you can inscribe data permanently on the Bitcoin blockchain and what that value might be. And this is a lot of that led to bullshit blockchain products like bananas on the blockchain, real estate on the blockchain, because you could write the uh, what the deed of the house into the blockchain. Well, men with guns don't give a shit about no blockchain. They'll come take your house because it physically exists in the world. But that's just aside the point. Whatever it is that Mike's looking at when it comes to ordinals may actually have some value. We just don't know. We're going to have to wait and see. You're going to have to be patient. And let's try not to lose our mind about it all. And we'll do this one instead. Jack Dorsey backed TBD launches a brand new Web5 toolkit to decentralize the internet. Coindesk and Frederick Munawa is writing it. A division of Jack Dorsey's financial technology company, Block, has launched a new open source toolkit for its Web5 project designed to make it easier for developers to create decentralized internet applications. The collection of technologies includes tamper-proof, cell-phoned identifiers similar to email addresses or usernames called decentralized identifiers or DIDs, secure digital certificates called verified credentials or VCs that provide legal proof of things like name, age, and ownership of assets, and decentralized web nodes or DWNs that store data in a decentralized way. The full Web5 platform is expected to launch later in 2023, but with this initial release, developers can start building decentralized applications on TBD's developer platform. Quote, 
We're at my Bitcoin Miami right now. I'm here because I think Bitcoin is one of those open protocols for freedom, said Mike Brock, general manager of TBD at Block. And I think that's what Web5 is as well. One of the first applications TBD will launch on their Web5 platform will be a remittance application for Africa and Mexico that uses Bitcoin and stablecoins as payment rails. The app will be based on another TBD open source project called TBDX, a protocol for discovering liquidity and exchange assets. Quote, we think remittances is probably the closest thing to a near-term killer app for Bitcoin and stablecoins, said Brock. The international remittance markets is a mess. Block, which unveiled Web5 in June 2022, describes the project as a group of technologies that enhance the web with decentralized identity, personal data storage, and verifiable data exchange capabilities. There you go. Web5 still cruising on. I'm glad they just went ahead and skipped over Web4 while these idiots are still talking about Web3. I think that that was a good marketing marketing, marketing ploy because people go, but what about this Web5 thing? There's not, it doesn't make any difference what they're calling any of this shit. Web3, Web5, Web12. I, it doesn't matter. It's just for some reason or another, humans want the next best thing. And what do we use to count the next best thing? The next higher number. It's literally that simple. <laughs> now, Brink, Brink announces a $1 million donation matching campaign from Marathon Digital Holdings for Bitcoin development. Peter Chihuahua has it for Bitcoin Magazine. On stage at the Bitcoin 2023 conference, Brink announced a matching campaign for donations from Bitcoin mining farm Marathon Digital Holdings to support the work of Bitcoin core developers. Marathon will match donations made to Brink on a two-for-one basis for the duration of the conference, which ends on May the 20th, that's tomorrow, and then match donations one-for-one through the end of the year up to $1 million in total. Quote, we're going to match dollar-for-dollar $500,000 worth of donations that Brink receives for core developers. More importantly, we will donate two-for-one if you donate money during this conference, said Fred Thiel, Marathon CEO. Quote, so, if you believe in the importance of supporting core development efforts, then I strongly urge you to donate 50 cents, a dollar, whatever you can during the conference, end quote. By committing to match all third-party donations, up to an aggregate of 500000 until December the 31st, 2023, Marathon hopes to advance Brink's support for the developers who maintain and upgrade Bitcoin's code. Since 2020, Brink has supported numerous developers in their work to make Bitcoin more accessible and advanced through grants, mentorship, and education, including former lead maintainer Marco Falke, Lightning Network white paper author Taj Dreija, and Bitcoin Core PR Review Club's Gloria Zhao. Quote, we have nine developers in five different countries that are all independent developers funded by Brink, explained Mike Schmidt, executive director of Brink. Quote, I think we would all agree that we would want this Bitcoin software that's powering all of this innovation on top to be better reviewed, better tested, better maintained, easier to run, and more performant. So that's why Brink fund grantees that are spending upwards of 50% of their time on testing and reviewing the Bitcoin core code, proposing changes to the core code code base, and basically making that software more secure, end quote. Donations made to Brink through its website are now eligible for the match. Teal framed the campaign as part of Marathon's larger commitment to securing the Bitcoin network as a significant contributor of hash rate, the compute power that ensures Bitcoin's immutability. Quote, we believe that it's the most secure protocol out there, and we think we and the rest of the industry should do everything we can to support the developers and really foment as much activity in the space as possible. By the way, if you want to go and donate uh, during the uh, during the conference dates, which they will two for one match, you can go to brink.dev, D-E-V forward slash donate. That's brink, B-R-I-N-K dot dev forward slash donate. Again, brink.dev, go and donate and they'll do two for one match on you which is pretty damn cool. All right, last one up. Lava introduces self-custody wallet and Bitcoin DeFi platform. 
at, you guessed it, Bitcoin 2023. Because why? This is from Bitcoin Magazine and BTC Casey. Lava, a financial technology company, has unveiled a new self-custody wallet and decentralized finance platform on Bitcoin. Utilizing Lava's loan protocol, be aware, anytime you hear loan or yield or DeFi, I don't care if it's Bitcoin-centric. Be careful. Utilizing Lava's loan protocol, users can borrow stablecoins against native Bitcoin, eliminating the risks associated with bridge hacks and custodian rehypothecation. CEO Shizen Maridia highlighted the advantages of Lava's borrowing mechanism, stating that with Lava, people can borrow transparently without rehypothecation risk and without relying on bridges or custodians. Users won't have to trust their counterparty and can borrow using a system that gives users cryptographic insurance that the rules of their contracts will be honored. Lava achieves this through invisible smart contracts called discrete log contracts. You've heard them as DLCs which ensure collateral integrity and enable programmable loan initiation and repayment without the need for intermediaries. According to a press release sent to Bitcoin Magazine, Lava Wallet aims to empower individuals who face challenges with traditional banking, offering innovative security solutions and safety checks to prevent transaction errors. He said that he envisions Bitcoin and dollars as the two most crucial assets of the coming decade, Lava's goal, the press release stated, is to create a Bitcoin and dollar-centric financial experience that grants users true financial freedom, enabling them to take control of their finances and simplify money management. In an interview, he expressed gratitude to his co-founder, team, investors, and supporters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lava's self-custody wallet is currently available on mobile platforms, including iOS, as well as Android, with plans for additional interfaces in the future. And the company said it intends to differentiate itself from other self-custody wallets. Of course you do. Of course you do. What I'm really interested in here is this statement that he, where, where does he says he, yeah. Meridia, I think is how you pronounce his name. Meridia said that he envisions Bitcoin and dollars as the two most crucial assets for the coming decade. Bitcoin and dollars. I just saw a graph last night right before I went to bed of the euro dollar pair. And it does not look good for the euro. And Okay, let's not talk about the Chinese yuan. China's a big dog. I get it. You take them out of the mix, what do you got? You got the Australian dollar. You got the Canadian dollar. You got United States dollar. You got the euro. After that, guys, there's really not much out there to really play around with. Swiss franc, maybe, but as powerful as the euro? No, no outside of the Chinese yuan, and I'm not even saying that the Chinese yuan is more powerful than the euro because I don't believe it is, but I'm not, you know, I'm not a Nobel laureate economist, so I won't get into it. What, but what I will say is that the graph that I saw yesterday, there's always people doing technical analysis and they're always putting up their graphs with the little lines. Most of the time, I just, I don't really, I don't really look at it. And I certainly don't engage with technical analysis myself. This chart scared the piss out of me, or at least it would have if I was somebody who was holding euros because it broke down beneath its like six month trend line. And if it continues to scale down the value of the euro against the United States dollar, then the only thing left in the world is the United States dollar. I've been chastised a couple of times for saying the following. The last fiat currency in the world to die is going to be the United States dollar. I think it was uh, IC Offender that said, no, I, I don't. He's like, it could be something else. To which I conceded because I could see that the yuan possibly might supersede the United States dollar. But my gut feeling says no. Because China ain't exactly in a good position financially either because they've done the same stupid shit that most of the West has done in printing a whole bunch of cash, funding stupid big ass projects and, you know, ghost towns that are, were built, you know, five years ago are being dynamited. 
you know, 40 story buildings that have never been occupied that are basically 11 years old are being taken down with dynamite. Uh, no, it's just a waste of money. It was a, a, a horrendous misallocation of fundage. And Chinese are just as guilty as anybody in the West. I think the dollar's the last one standing. If the euro dies against the dollar, that could very well be the trigger of all the fi uh, fire setting that we're going to see that we keep expecting in the next decade. And the dollar will probably be the last one standing. That and Bitcoin. So when this guy says that the two assets that he is prioritizing is U.S. dollars and Bitcoin, is that good for Bitcoin? Yeah. But it's also good for the U.S. dollar. And the U.S. dollar is at the forefront of the IMF, the World Economic Forum, the World Bank, the FATF, and the rest of these bozo clown show guys that are walking around telling small countries how they're going to live their life and how they've got to be poor. And I'm kind of done with it. There's no reason for Central America and Latin America to be at poor at all. Shit, Argentina as a nation was richer than the United States at one point. But it was way back in the day, by the way. I mean, on a per capita basis, you know, like, like not money in the bank. I'm talking about how much wealth was owned by each individual citizen of Argentina was doing way better, way better than United States citizenry at like the turn of the century. I'm not talking this century. I'm talking like 1800 to 1900. <clears throat> now, where are they? <laughs> Destitute. Brazil used to be okay. Most of, you know, honestly, most of Latin America used to be okay. Shit, before we decided to embargo Cuba, Cuba was doing just fine. You know, and there was, a, Cuba got hammered twice. It was internal with the whole overthrow and Castro and his, his crew of, you know, communists. And then our response was the death knell to Cuba. And they went from a very wealthy country to a very poor country inside of 20 years. And now they're one of the poorest countries on earth. Haiti, there's no reason they should be poor. None of these places need to be poor. What causes them to be poor? For the longest time, you've been told it's because they're uneducated, they're unreliable, their governments are corrupt. The only thing that's true in those statements is that their governments are corrupt. And then you have to ask yourself why? Because we bought them off with the United States dollar. But I, I agree 100% with this guy. The two assets moving forward for the next decade is Bitcoin and the United States dollar. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. Sending you off this Friday with Dad Says Jokes. What do you call a group of men waiting for a haircut? A barbecue. Yeah, I'll let that one roll around for a little while. Uh, there's not much left to say, except have a good weekend. And for those of you guys that are out there in Miami that are listening to me, you know, shake some hands for me. Say, go up to somebody that you want to talk to and say, oh, and by the way, none of your business says hi. I don't really care who it is. And somebody slap Novak in the back of the head and tell him to sponsor the damn show. And I'll, I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.